1 Peter 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Thanks, Walter. Yeah, you're welcome to have your Bible over to that page or on that screen as we consider it together. You remember the, uh, the days of travel? Remember those days? You know, when you could jump on a plane and cross seas and oceans? When you could visit other exotic lands and immerse in different cultures. Remember those days? Wow, that was good, wasn't it? And the more different the culture that you might visit, the more out of place and foreign you would feel, right? Not knowing the language or the customs, it could give you a real sense of displacement. Who am I here? In the office this week, we were talking about uh, favourite holidays And I have to admit personally that even though I loved exploring continental Europe and especially the history that you can discover there, uh, I generally prefer destinations that are a little more like home. Uh, So the UK for one, but even more so uh, New Zealand because, well, I was born there and I lived there for a few years. So it's it's a little taste of home. And see, I've always been proud to have a, a New Zealand birth certificate Uh, even though I was made an Australian citizen when I was like one year old, I think. 
uh, because both ties have, have kind of been part of my identity. And without a doubt, our identity or our belonging affects how we feel in a given location, doesn't it? So if you're in a country as a short-term visitor, it feels very different to being a citizen of that country or even to being a long-term expat in that country. And I think this is why we worry about things like vaccine passports because we don't want that to be a part of our identity. We don't want that to affect the way that we feel in a given location, whether it's at home or abroad. We don't want to feel like this isn't our home and we don't want to feel like we're not welcome somewhere. Peter's first letter to, uh, is, is written sorry, to Christians who were struggling with such questions of identity and with such feelings of displacement, feeling out of place in a strange and often hostile world. And it's more and more the way that we Christians are feeling today. As we've moved from, uh, in many ways, being a majority to a minority. As we've moved from being somewhat accepted to more and more rejected. And whether that's because, because of the gender revolution or general widespread distrust of the institutional church or whether it's just because of postmodern philosophy in our age. This is now the reality. We are intolerable. Apparently we're intolerant as well, but we're intolerable to the rest of the world. And so 1 Peter is definitely a book that is written for us, hence doing this series. As Peter alludes to in in, uh, verses 10 to 12 that we read, the Spirit has written these things for our benefit and for our blessing. We can take this And consider it, words, as direct encouragement to us today. And so we've titled this series, Hope and Holiness in a Hostile World. uh, For reasons which we will explain, especially in these first two weeks. But if you have trouble remembering that, you can just think with Christmas on the way, ho, ho, ho. Hope, holiness and hostility. I was going to say, if you think that's cool, I'm going to take credit for it. Uh, But if you think it's lame, I'm just going to say it was Tim's idea. And It's only a few weeks in and I'm already throwing him under the bus, but uh, that is how it goes. But we could actually add another two hoes to that if we wanted. Uh, Home for one. We are foreigners who are returning home. And hold fast. We are called to stand firm and to persevere in the suffering that is to come. Oh, and there's, of course, there's one whole word which we can't add, and that is holidays. We are not here on holidays, in case that's what you think. This is not a holiday. But as we go through this series, we're asking questions of who, where, where, and how. That is, who we are, where we are, where we're going and how we get there. Questions of identity, situation, destination and direction. So this morning I'm going to introduce those things as we consider the first 12 verses of the book. Firstly, looking at who who we are. And we've been thinking a lot about identity uh, lately, particularly in the creation 
series that we just did, Who Are We as Human Beings? And identity is just as important here in the book of Peter as it is in Genesis because it continues to be essentially important in the world that we live in. Who are we? What defines us? This is one of the key questions we face. And while the world makes identity all about sexuality, you know, am I straight or gay or bi or trans? Or about race, am I black or white or Asian or indigenous? Or about politics, am I left, right, socialist, liberal, conservative? Or about work, you know, am I a teacher, or am I a nurse, am I a lawyer, am I a tradie, am I an accountant? Peter reminds us that it is so much more than any of those things. So much deeper. Right at the start of the book, he calls us elect exiles. Elect exiles. That means we are chosen by God out of this world. That we belong to God and not to this world with its many and varied definitions, with its you-do-you attitude. And then in verse 3, Peter talks about our new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we are born Again, that we are renewed, that the old life has died with Jesus in his death on the cross and that the new life is raised up within us, a new identity. And both of these things, being chosen and being born again, they are because of God's mercy and grace and nothing more. Verse 10 says that it's the grace that has come to us. And in verse 2, it alludes how it's abundant grace. And then in verse 3, that it is by his great mercy. That is, it's all about God's incredible, initiating and forgiving love. It's not because of who we are. It's not because of our merit. And let's never let that arrogance creep in. It's because of God and his grace. But don't we need this reminder every day about our identity? That who we are goes so much deeper than sexuality or race or politics. That it goes deeper than our work. And I think that this is a really difficult one for Western Christians. That the the all-consuming workplace or career becomes our identity. How many of you feel like you're defined by your job. Whether you're a doctor or a teacher, a homemaker, a nurse. How many of you see yourself as a Christian on Sunday when going to church, but then on every other day of the week, you are your career? Peter wants to tell you that first and foremost, you are chosen by God and you are born again if you believe in Jesus. If you don't, that you can be. But this is who you are. This is your identity. You are an elect exile. You are a holy refugee. If you lose your job, this is who you are. If politics fail, this is who you are. If your sexual feelings are at odds with your biology, this is who you are. This is your identity and this is your calling. 
And see, I think so often we need to learn to distinguish between our identity and our situation. Our identity being chosen and born again and our situation being perhaps our job or perhaps our residence, our citizenship or, or maybe our sicknesses or disabilities. For example, if you have cancer, that's not your identity, that's your situation. And our identity in God is firm, it is sure, it is secure, no matter what the changes in your situation. Or no matter the pressures of your circumstances. And that brings us to the next thing this morning, which is where we are. Where we are, our situation or our location or our circumstances. Peter's original readers were scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, uh, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. And hopefully there'll be a map that pops up in just a moment. And all those provinces were part of what was known as Asia Minor or is basically modern day Turkey. Uh, which was a very core part of the Roman Empire, very solid hold of the Roman Empire. And to varying degrees, these places were all places that were hostile to Christians and Christianity. They were places that were committed to emperor worship and to the secular lifestyle that that permitted. And so, for example, some in that situation, wives, children and slaves especially, were expected to just adopt that religion, the same as the man of the house, the same as the master, to adopt that religion and it would make it wildly dangerous for any of them to consider believing in Jesus. Persecution and suffering was all too likely. You know, a slave might be beaten or killed. A wife might be abandoned because of that and lose her children, lose her livelihood. Even a a just regular male worker or employee could be sacked and impoverished just for believing and following Jesus. That's why Peter tells his readers in chapter 4 not to be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come upon them. He's telling them to expect it, to expect suffering, to expect hostility, to expect persecution. And he could be saying the exact same thing to us. Expect it. It's coming to you, to me, to all of us. We're strangers in a strange land after all. Uh, Both Rico Tice in uh, the Christianity Explored course and Steve McAlpine in the the book that Tim was highlighting before uh, used the illustration of Ernest Shackleton's ad to recruit people for his expedition to Antarctica, which went something like this. Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness and safe return doubtful. Honour and recognition in an event of success. Uh, Talk about hostile conditions. And apparently over 5,000 men responded to that ad. What drove them, I don't know. But such a call is not unlike the one that is placed on followers of Jesus. He says in, in Mark chapter 8, If anyone 
would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, take up his death, his burden, and follow me. He'll have all the wondrous grace of identity in God, of adoption into God's family. But his situation is going to be hard, it's going to be hazardous, and it's going to be hostile. Expect it. Suffering is guaranteed. The time might soon come when you could lose your job because you can't sign HR's new rainbow policy. Or because you won't introduce new policies into your own workplace as a small business owner. Or for whatever reason it might be. And again, Peter is saying that while your situation may get bad, and suffering will come, you remain secure in your identity as God's own possession. That is firmly established. But also, this is not your home. So don't expect it to be. Whether you live in ancient Cappadocia or modern day Perth, one thing remains the same. This is not our home. We don't belong here. We are all exiles. We are foreigners, aliens, strangers, immigrants, refugees. Take your pick of the word. But that's what Peter says that we are. And yet we are all on our way home. He makes sure to highlight that salvation. For us, the journey or the expedition will definitely return us home safe and sound. Even though it will definitely kill us as well. It's ironic, isn't it? Hardship and death is guaranteed, but so is salvation and life. That's the wonder of the gospel. And this is the living hope that Peter talks about from verse 3 onwards. An inheritance, he says, that can never perish or spoil or fade. That means it cannot age or decay like our physical bodies can and will. It cannot be stained or ruined like your favorite pair of jeans. And it only shines brighter the more that you look at it, the more you focus on it, the brighter it gets, unlike that precious memory that you cling to of younger years, which gets harder and harder to remember. This hope is not stored here on earth where it can be lost or stolen or forgotten. It's stored in heaven in God's own keeping. Until the arrival and fulfillment of your salvation. This is our living hope. No matter what the trials we face are. We are shielded from death. We are shielded from despair. And before I move to the last point, I just want to take a small sidestep into verses 10 to 12. Uh, Time is not going to allow us to do a really in-depth look there. uh, But just to perhaps get the gist. Peter talks there about how all the work of the Old Testament prophets, all their research and their writing and their inspiration is to benefit us with the grace and the hope of the gospel. A living hope that was being revealed long before Jesus 
was born into the world. And yet it was from Him. It's from the Spirit of Christ. He Himself, through the Spirit, was speaking, was writing through the prophets to reveal the glories that would come after His suffering and death. Which is, of course, His resurrection and our inheritance. God's been pointing to it from way back, way back into the past so that we can look way, way into the future and know that there is hope guaranteed 100%. The prophets of old, many of whom suffered great persecution, who suffered great hostility in God's name, they endured what they did so that we could have the good news of this hope in Jesus Christ. So that we do not need to lose heart. So that we can look forward to being at home with him forever. So how do we get there? How do we travel on the journey? How do we equip ourselves for the expedition? If you're going to Antarctica, you're going to bring a heap of layers, aren't you? As many as you can. Bring waterproof gear, snow boots with crampons, all the rest of it, so that you can deal with the hostile conditions of an ice desert. And we similarly need to equip ourselves to face the hostile world we live in. So what is that gear? Well, we've looked at the first one, which is hope. It's essential, absolutely essential. The knowledge of salvation that wraps us up and it keeps us all kinds of warm, no matter how Harsh or inhospitable the conditions get. Remember where you are going. Remember where your home is. Remember that it's guaranteed. But this passage speaks equally of faith and joy as well. That our faith is proven and refined through trials. So that it's worth far more than gold. It's the most valuable thing you can bring. On your journey. That we believe in him, though we don't see him. It's like Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We live by faith, not by sight. I mean, yes, with our eyes we see the news, don't we? We read the stories. We take note. Take note. Johan jumped the most, by the way, just uh, <laughs> fair enough. But we take note of the opposition as it grows, the issues that are happening, the suffering that is ever-present. We see that with our eyes, and yet with our faith, we see the Lord Jesus sitting on his throne, ruling the earth from the right hand of God, coming back one day in glory to judge the living and the dead. That is what we see with our faith. We see the perfection of heaven which endures for an endless eternity. Hence the joy as well. That we can rejoice in this inheritance despite our sufferings or even in and because of our sufferings. James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of any kind. 
Paul says in Romans 5, we glory in our sufferings. And a little further on, Peter says that we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy in receiving our inheritance, in receiving the end result of our faith, which is forged by fire, which is the salvation of our souls. That's the joy. It's worth infinitely more than a comfortable life on earth or temporary escapes from earthly suffering. All of that stuff is momentary, but this, this hope, this joy, this faith is eternal. So hope, faith, and joy, and all of that bubbles up and overflows in praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter exclaims back in verse 3. And that's a phrase that's used exactly as it is three times in the New Testament. Uh, Once here in 1 Peter, once in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when Paul declares the comfort of God, praise be to the God of all comfort, comfort in the face of suffering. And then once in Ephesians chapter 1, when he proclaims the wonder of being predestined and being chosen and being adopted into God's family. And both of these things point so beautifully to our passage, our comfort in suffering and our identity as God's chosen people, his children. Praise the Lord. And so then in verse 7, our faith, which is forged through fire, results in our praise of God. And that's our purpose. We really should be adding a fifth question. Who, where, where, how, and why? Why has God put us here? Why are we here as his children in, in, in this identity? Why are we in this inhospitable place? Why hasn't he just thrown us straight into heaven? Well, as chapter 2, verse 9 reminds us, we are chosen, we are called, we are equipped, we are set apart, and we are loved so that we can declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Our calling, our purpose is not simply to win political arguments or to fight for cultural rights or to demand sexual conservatism. Our calling is simply this, to declare the praises of God, to declare His good news, to share our hope and our faith and our joy and to spread that joy, that good news of being chosen and being born again. And of life eternal. And of course to be obedient to Jesus through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. That is to be holy and blameless in this hostile world. But I'm going to leave that until next week, until the next passage. When Tim takes us through being holy. But today please remember who you are. Chosen and born again. 
Remember where you are in this strange and foreign land. It is not home. Remember where you're going, journeying towards salvation, towards your true home. And remember how you journey and your purpose along the way to share your faith and your hope and your joy and to praise Jesus so that others might know as well. Or to state the alternative, ridiculously long title of the series, Hope, holiness, and honouring God is how you hold fast on your journey home through a hostile world. Ho, 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 ho. But I want to finish this morning, uh, if I may, with an excerpt from uh, Rico Tice's book, Honest Evangelism, where he reminds us how God has placed us as his people in this world as much as he's called us out of it, and for that purpose. He says in in response to Acts chapter 17, So there is a God who made the world and everything in it. And we believe that. We just professed it earlier. Including my neighbours, my relatives, and my work colleagues. He made everything and everyone, and he doesn't need them, but they need him. He gives all of us every breath we take. Not only that, but he has marked out how long every person will live and decided where they will live. Now hold on to your seat as we think about what this means. Your neighbour lives down your street because God put them there. Your colleague at work sits at the next desk to you because God sat them there. The reason your neighbour lives where she does is so that she will get reached for the gospel. Why did God want a Christian, you, to be in your workplace? Yes, so that you can bless your boss and workers by working hard and honestly, but first and foremost, it's so that others there can hear the gospel. It's no accident that you know the people you do. It's no accident that they're in your path. They need the gospel. You know the gospel. God wants them to hear the gospel. And that transforms how I look at my life. It makes it really exciting. If I'm sitting on a train and there's someone opposite me, God has put them there. He's not far from them because I know him and I'm sitting opposite them. Now that transforms whether I'll bother to try to start a conversation with them. It'll transform what I aim to talk about with them. And it'll transform how I pray for my day ahead. I'll be praying for energy and love to make the most of every divine appointment that God has already written into my schedule. We need to believe that God is in charge of which desk we sit at. We need to understand that God has put people around us because he wants them to hear the gospel. We need to grasp God's sovereignty. And I wanted to read that because it's so important to remember that he hasn't just put us here to just persevere and get through it and quickly get to heaven he's given us this this reason that as much as there's negativity in suffering there is great great positivity in the calling he's placed on us let's pray
Father God, we just thank you for the work that you've done in Jesus and how it changes our lives right to the very heart of us, to our very core, changing our identity. Our old lives put to death, our new lives raised within us thanks to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And Lord, it's hard sometimes to understand why we are in a world of suffering, why we have to deal with opposition, why it seems that Christians can be treated badly, even whilst trying to do all the right things. And Lord, we just pray that you help us to trust that you know what's best, that you are seeking to draw more people to yourself, that through our suffering, you grow us, you change us, and you work in the lives of those around us. Lord, as we go through this series, as we look through this book, we pray that you will transform us and help us to see things the way that you have revealed them through Peter. May we not run from suffering. May we not feel scandalized because there's suffering and opposition. But may we seek you and how you would use us in spite and through suffering. Lord, we thank you that we look forward always to a home that is true and eternal. We thank you that it is guaranteed. Even though we die in this world, we thank you that we can live forever in the next. And we pray, Lord, help us to share that hope with others. Amen.